I went everybody's head about the bed. Hello there. My name is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Chick. The Raven. Uh, let's see. I am joined to discuss The Raven. I'm joined by Christian uh, Mal- Mal- Malowski. Uh, now, actually, for this podcast, I shall go by the name Phyllis Tynes. Hyphen Reynolds. <laughs> uh. And uh, Kelly Wand, what is the tagline for The Raven? You mean the catchphrase? Catchphrase, tagline, what have you, yes. Mm, tagline, totally different. Uh, it's a Poe quote, or as I call them, a poet. Uh, <laughs> it's the nature of truth in general. That's my Poe, by the way. Uh, to be richest when most superficial, never more. I wrote the last part. Very thoughtful. Uh, good. We will discuss... See what he's saying? Oh. I do, I do. No, we will discuss shortly how that relates to this uh, biopic that we saw. I forget it. Yeah. Um, but first, <laughs> in case you have not seen The Raven, don't worry, we're not going to spoil anything <sighs> just yet. Hang in there. Uh, Dingus, without spoiling anything, why don't you tell folks a little bit about this movie? All right, well, this week we saw The Raven, mm. a 2012 American mystery thriller movie mm. about Edgar Allan Poe teaming up with a detective to do some rewrites. It was directed by James McTeague mm. and written by Ben Livingston and Hannah Shakespeare. <laughs> Damn it! You ruined my joke. In the... All right. I'm sorry. By telling the facts, uh, I've ruined yeah. your joke. Yes. Uh, it stars John Cusack, Luke Evans, and Alice Eve. The Raven is rated R mm. for bloody violence and grisly images. Mm-hmm. Hey, Canada, it's 18A, by the way. And I was repeatedly warned by the computer terminal about the violence levels. Like, you sure you want to see this? And you, you actually persisted. You stayed with it. You decided uh, to go in anyway, Kelly Wand, right? Got it more excited, yeah. Uh, well, Kelly Wand, why don't you tell us about your experience? Wait, uh, oh, you know what? First. Did he have more to add? I just wanted to... Play. I don't have anything else to add. Um, I just want to hear about uh, what 18A means and then hear how the movie did, because I'm sure it did gangbusters at the box office. I actually almost forgot and almost skipped myself for that part. So uh, before we throw it over to Kelly Wand, who will explain 18A, uh, it opened at number seven, which is quite an accomplishment. Quite an accomplishment in an otherwise slow week. Uh, it made $7 million in its opening weekend. Seven. Um, $7 million. What else was it playing? Uh, that Steve Harvey thing is, I think, number one for the what? second week in a row. What is Five that? Five Year Engagement was there. Um, Five Year think Engagement. Like a Man. Right. Think Like a Man. Uh, I'm sure Hunger Games is still somewhere above the number seven spot. Uh, yeah, it did not do well. Uh, no surprise, though. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, of all of the reviews written of The Raven, 21% of them are positive. Hmm. On Metacritic, which gauges the average rating of reviews that use ratings, it's at... Wait, can I try to... Oh, oh. Oh, yeah, I kind of uh, tipped my hand. Uh, it's at 45. Uh, Dude, uh, on Friday, I was told it was at 18%. How did it get to 21? <laughs> Someone was more positive reviews rolled in. Yeah, yeah. Right. Over right. the course of three days. 
<laughs> it's a mystery that's solved quicker than the Ravens mystery. <laughs> uh, so, Kelly Wand, what is eight, 18A? Is that something that is reserved only for truly horrific movies, or is that just the Canadian equivalent of an R rating? I don't know. I've never noticed any of the other. Like, I don't remember being asked that. Oh, it wasn't asking me. It was telling me. Mm-hmm. Uh, for 21 Jump Street. Wasn't that the last R-rated movie we've ever seen together <laughs> in different countries? I believe that was definitely uh, R-rated, yes. Um, Cabin in the Woods was R-rated, wasn't it? Yep, that was uh, an R. Yep. Uh, um, wait, uh, I forgot what I was going to ask. Well, in, in different countries, they call different things different words. Different things, right. So, yeah, so an R-rating to us is an 18A maybe in, in Canada. Uh, the... Uh, Yes, Wait, how's A spelled? Hmm. Uh, so go ahead, Kelly Warren. We, we... What do you mean, go, go ahead? Oh, I, I thought you were cut off. So, Kelly Wand, why don't you then give oh. us a, uh, a blow-by-blow account of the events that transpire over the course of The Raven? Oh, you mean a rave-opsis? Rock and roll. You'll rave for the rave-opsis. <clears throat> Poe's sitting on a bench, staring at nothing bleakly while Raven shit on his eyeballs. I can already relate. The screen tells me that in RL, he died on the bench after disappearing for a couple days. Fun fact, at the end of this movie, he dies on a bench after not disappearing for a couple days. We go back in time so he's alive. He drunkenly finds some ravens eating another raven. The dead raven was pregnant with what he calls kittens. Wait, so a flock of baby ravens is called a murder of kittens? English language, I like you. Poe's in love with a blonde chick whose dad thinks he's dumb. He slips a poem down her bodice after leaping into a carriage with them, and the dad pulls a pistol on him. She sees him later that night and quotes it aloud. And everybody has a neighbor in Wisconsin. Oh, my sweet Edgar Allan, it's the most romantic thing I've ever read, especially that part at the end where the chick smothers to death in the coffin. They make out. Poe likes to drink, which, from what I gather of his finances, isn't his real vice. It's buying drinks for the whole bar every time. Poe's editor won't pay him unless he writes another story. He's all, people love those gory ones, like Telltale Heart. Poe's all, there's not actually any gore in that story unless a glass eye counts. The editor's all, Ivan, get in here and typeset something. Meanwhile, a serial killer is killing people using retardedly bitchin' production values. More specifically, rooms with pendulums and trick chimneys and lip threads and bullshit writing. Poe moonlights at a women's college literary classroom where he tells chicks how smart they are for writing poetry, comparing bees to cotton gins. Kind of like how Woody Allen probably does with Scarlett Johansson. The pigs show up and wisely bust everybody for lewd behavior. The police chief, a cop who looks kind of like McNulty from The Wire, which was also set in Baltimore, interrogates Poe and then just starts hanging out with him. To celebrate this, Poe's blonde chick's dad's having a birthday ball with masks. In front of the police, he warns Poe not to come or he'll shoot him. But Poe comes anyway wearing some kind of swamp thing mask that's so boring the blonde chick doesn't recognize him in it, even though she can see his goatee. You guys still there? <laughs> While they're dancing, a headless horseman, based on the guy from that famous Poe story, Sleepy Hollow, rides in slow-mo through some trees, up some marble steps, and smashes through the glass doors and into the middle of the mansion and all the party guests. The dad shoots this guy, who then says he was hired by a serial killer to do this. Can he please have his check now? 
Note to self, 1840s party grams equal awesome value. In the two seconds that even with slow-mo this retardation took, the killer somehow absconds with the blonde chick. Even though the cops were expecting him, and there's like 50 of them all around the party wearing masks, somehow none of them noticed a mask guy carting off a blonde chick. Poe just says, he has her, and that's the end of the whole manhunt. To their credit, they do discuss this appalling security breach in the chief's office later. Poe says something like, dude, you had a thousand cops and he got by you, what the fuck? And the cop's response is like, don't worry, she's still alive. The cop's right, in the sense that she's in a coffin with dirt getting shoveled on her. Wow, we're only half an hour into this movie, and the poor blonde chick has only hours of air remaining. That means, logically, the whole rest of this movie has to wind up happening on the same day, like in Speed and Willy Wonka. This movie just got intense. Two or three weeks drag by, although thanks to the miracle of movie magic, it feels more like eight months. A stagehand named Maurice gets his tongue cut out wearing a dress that the cop says is the blonde chick's, even though she still has hers on in the coffin. And because she's plucky, she hasn't shit herself or eaten in all this time. Post the tasteful Epicurean's human centipede. Poe chases a kid up some rafters, but the kid says he's in the play, so the chase ends. Why'd the kid climb to the rafters? Because a poet was backstage? Poe's gun falls out of his underwear while he's shimming along the rafter, and it goes off off-screen, but I guess doesn't kill anybody or do anything. Except cause a momentary panic, which also doesn't do anything. The serial killer thoughtfully leaves a pocket watch in an old man's mouth that Poe instantly realizes refers to longitude, details they somehow discern through the bloody clock face and its Roman numerals. This, they, this takes them to a church where the cop gets shot along with Poe's horse. Wait, what was it, the church again? Nothing? Oh yeah, I forgot to mention they found the dead tongueless stagehand in the dress by wandering around some tunnels under the city and calling out the chick's name and then hearing nothing and then eventually noticing a slightly discolored section of mortar a couple feet in radius by lantern light that the dude was buried behind. That's the killer's idea of cat and mouse. I also forgot to mention Poe's Eureka moment, involving a clue referring to a story that he wrote set in Italian catacombs, to which the cop goes, but Baltimore doesn't have any catacombs. And then Poe goes, no, but there are tunnels under the city. And then the cops all, oh my god, dude, you're a genius. A cop character in Raven screenwriters Livingston, and I'm not joking, Shakespeare, know what a cool name for city tunnels, underground places are? Motherfucking catacombs! <laughs> that one should have probably sounded... Never mind. Meanwhile, as the blonde chick starts getting bored and slightly dirty from being trapped in a coffin for four years, Poe writes an entire story by longhand to save her. One he knows will entice the killer into the open and force an endgame. Stupidly, he writes a story in which the writer hero gets poisoned and dies, instead of one in which the serial killer does and the girl gets saved. Luckily, Poe comes home to find his maid asleep on his desk with a crumpled note in her hand written in the murderer's cursive that I guess she didn't read. Wait, Poe's broke, but he has a maid? Because the writing's wet, and it rained last night, and the maid's hand wasn't sweaty, I guess, but the ink's still legible, he goes to the newspaper office. He finds his editor dead at his desk with another note in his blood-soaked hand that says, You're getting warmer. Then he turns around and the killer's there, smiling tauntingly. I don't blame him for smiling tauntingly. He's a genius for knowing Cusack would go to the desk first, then say shit to the editor not knowing he's dead yet, then turn the light on and see that he's dead, then read the note, then turn around, see a serial killer smirking at him, then not shoot that guy in the face, or better yet, maybe torture him for the blonde chick's location. 
Instead, Poe tricks the killer by drinking the killer's poison on command and watching the guy leave. Somehow, the poison, or as I call it, posen, makes Poe realize there's a trap door beside him, and the killer's somehow got a fucking dungeon-slash-library there under the newspaper office, where she's been buried all along and never cried out while he wasn't in the room. Poe digs up his woman. Being buried alive for 19 years has not been kind to poor what's-her-face, but luckily Poe knows a little-known medical technique called telling her to open her eyes. <laughs> she does instantly. Then, instead of accompanying her to the hospital, he goes to a park bench and sits on it. An old man in a top hat appears out of nowhere, like the Stuart Margolin devil worshipper in House of the Devil, and goes, You're a girl and Poe, huh? Say, I'm not doing anything at all right now. Should I go find anybody whose name you moan incoherently? And Poe's all, Reynolds rap! And the guy's all, what? And Poe's all, tell the police chief that the cellular killer almost killed my girlfriend's name is Reynolds. And the guy's all, so you're delirious, forget my offer. I find you offensive. Good day. Poe dies. The blonde chick's sad, although she did get a price break for bringing in her own coffin to reuse. The dad's sad, too, wondering just what the fuck his story arc was exactly. The serial killer goes to France because he told Poe that's where an awesome writer named Jules Verne lives. This is the greatest proof yet of the killer's genius since it's 1849, and Jules Verne's first published work didn't appear until 1851, and in English, 1863. But the cop's even smarter. He tracks the dude to Paris based on an old man in a top hat and the park's misremembrances, and he knows exactly which handsome cab the guy's going to pick, and he knows the guy won't see him till he's seated, and then he completes his investigation by shooting the guy in the face without asking him anything. Or so I assume from the shattered glass CG over the closing credits, even though no glass was just shot. The end. Uh, Kelly Wand, now think. Have you ever written anything about a sailor? Not in verse, like that was. Kelly One, why don't you explain to the folks listening why you made us see this movie this week? Mm-hmm. Because there were, there, I didn't think there were six better things playing, which means I'm stupider than the American public, which I'm pretty embarrassed to admit after all these years of podcasting for free. Uh, we could. Uh, by the way, you did point what out. What would we have seen? What did we miss out on that you? Well, they have these inventions called DVDs. You, you might consider looking we into them. We did that last week. We can't do d- back-to-back DVD podcast. Public will riot in the streets. They're very. Want, if that's if that's your approach, it's going to be a long summer. Oh, is that a Poe <laughs> line? <laughs> uh, you didn't point out that uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, went down to the uh, the sewer level to break the walls open with an axe. Yeah. Why was he doing that? What's What was the rationale behind that, Kelly Wand? I like that they had 50,000 cops on this thing, too, constantly. And none of them could do anything. I would say one of my favorite things about this movie were the cop costumes. I, I thought that was kind of awesome, seeing ancient Baltimore cop outfits. That That's sort of what I'd, I busied myself with to, to try to remain entertained. Hey, look what the cops wore back then. I don't understand how, like, who read the script and went, oh, it's totally what we got to do. Because it's just like Silence of the Lambs. Dingus, can you, could you, is there anything that could have fixed this movie? Could you, could you see any point in this movie's development where maybe there was something cool? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a great seven kind of idea <laughs> that's going on where 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 you could do a couple clever things with the work of Edgar Allan Poe and you know 
do a whole Sher- the, the new Sherlock, you know, go with the new Sherlock thing too, and and get a little humor, a little wit in there, and then mess around with the stories of Edgar Allan Poe if you had a brain, sure. So you see, you you see that you see the good in this movie. You're saying uh, I, there were it, there were two moments where I saw good in this movie where oh. I where I thought, oh, I'm interested. Can uh, I can I guess that one of them might have involved a character named Carl? <laughs> what? Yeah, you can get that. Carl. Although the woman next to me had to have that explained to her by her boyfriend. Uh, why did that have to be explained? So, <laughs> so Kelly wants me, I think. I don't know what he's talking about. There was a character. You don't remember Carl? Carl was my favorite character in this movie, Kelly Wand. Carl. Yes. Wait, yes. was he the Jake Gyllenhaal cop? <laughs> hey! Oh my God! I can't believe you said that. Wendy. Wendy said, "Oh, that guy reminds me of somebody." And then when we left, he, she goes, "That's Jake Gyllenhaal. That, that reminds me of him." And I went, "Oh, no way!" Like as no, Donnie Dark. Ah, see. Well, well done. Well, he's the guy well, that the, uh, what your wife thought of the young. The cop. killer jumped off the top of the church and magically slashed his throat. <laughs> poor poor uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. But no, Carl was not human. Kelly Wan. Does that help you remember who Carl was? No, Carl was a, Carl was a raccoon. Oh, oh, he was. Can, yeah, he gets. They capture him, no problem. And he, John Cusick has a heart. He, uh, just, what's that? That's not based on anything. If he had yeah. a raccoon pet, he would have written about it. Edgar Allan Poe famously uh, was a keeper of raccoons. He bred them, and and uh, he took them to raccoon shows. He was a raccoon breeder and a raccoon shower. Not many people know that Kelly Wand. They call that a raconteur. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, uh, so, Dingus, there were two things you liked. What, what were the two things you liked? If not, if not Carl, then what were the two things that you liked in this movie? I, I loved, I loved Carl. I love when he, when they, you know, they magically say, bring him out, and he's like, I can tell by the sound of his voice, that's mine. And, and then the, then I heard the guy next to me go, that's his raccoon. And she goes, oh, see what you see, America. <laughs> see what you hear. Uh, I really. Well, it's liked- sort of. I, I just want to say real quick. It's sort of my guess is that. Uh, through and through, this was a very cheap production. Uh, when the credits rolled, I could tell by the names, oh, this was shot, not even in the Czech Republic, because that would involve some production values. This thing was a joint, yeah, well, no, this was a joint, um, Hungarian Serbian production. Uh, and I can only imagine how inexpensive that was. So my guess is that it did not have the raccoon for shooting on the day where he's supposed to get it from the fire department. So they're just like, you know what? Uh, get the cage, throw a, a blanket over it, and we'll we'll dub in a raccoon sound effect later. So I think they only had the raccoon for shooting on that one day that they had the office scenes. That's they totally stole the scene. Yeah. Well, you know, performing with children and animals, that's that's what you're setting yourself the up for. The fire department totally will put your ra- your pet raccoon in a sack and give it to you if your house burns down. Yeah. Well, I did love the... Uh, so also enjoying the uh, Baltimore police, ancient police uniforms, the ancient policeman dude uh, was worth a chuckle. I mean, not policeman, a uh, fireman dude was worth a chuckle with his his fireman mustache and that big goofy hat. Uh, firemen haven't changed a lot in the last hundred no. years. <laughs> or they're immortal and it's the same dude. Could be. Uh, Dingus, what was the other thing you liked in this movie? Uh, the... Uh, uh, the two things I really liked that moment because up until the moment, I thought the movie began horribly. Um, you know, where what's the last thing really you want to do? Up. I mean, Kelly Kelly made a joke about this, but the last thing you want to do when there's a bird above you is lean your head back and open your mouth. And so at the beginning of the movie, I immediately start laughing. But when they burst into the room, the dialogue's been horrible. But all of a sudden, 
we get this moment of uh, the, the window. It's nailed shut. And I think, oh, we're going to start unraveling these mysteries. Um, and I don't know Poe's writing well enough to know these mysteries. Well, I mean, at least not lately. So I thought, okay, we're going to start to unravel these mysteries and play with them a little bit. And I suddenly got interested. And then um, McNulty, uh, uh, then Fields, immediately finds the spring thing. So that, then I lost interest. But but then when, when Poe starts having to write the crimes, I got interested again. And, and I thought, well, if if it would have been so cool if this cop who was supposed to know his stories had been correcting him or something. I, I just, there were a couple of moments, those two moments where I thought something could happen here. Uh, the friend I saw the movie with observed that John Cusack could not keep his mouth shut and not in the sense of him talking, just in the sense of him standing there slack jawed with his mouth open <laughs> continually. Uh, as if Poe had this slack-jawed aspect to him. Uh, I can't fact, believe how bad he was. He was so miscast. Oh, it was so, just so sad. Where it's it really, bad writing, it, though, too. It's bad writing, but he's just not right for the part. I mean, John Cusack was just so out of his element, and the scene where he comes into the bar and he's trying to get a drink... You know, that the moment that scene started, I flashed back to the scene of John Cusack in a similar situation in a bar in The Grifters. And I was like, that's, mm -hmm. you know, that, and, yeah. and this is just so far. I mean, in a way, the intent is similar uh, in both of those scenes. But but that's so essentially perfect John Cusack casting in The Grifters. And here in this scene, he's just so out of his element and yelling to everyone and trying to get someone to recognize his, his poem and proclaiming himself as a literary masterpiece. I mean, Cusack's just not that bombastic. It just didn't work. Um, there is a, a also not very good um, Masters of Horror. You know, there's a Showtime series called Masters of Horror. Uh, and there's one of them, I think, called The Black Cat with Jeffrey Combs, who is perfect at cheesy horror. I mean, he comes, he did all these reanimator movies with Stuart Gordon. He's done a lot of crap since then, but Jeffrey Combs knows bad horror. And he did uh, a Poe. Uh, Masters of Horror called The Black Cat, and he's, he, look, he makes an amazing Poe, and it, he even did a one-man show uh, for, I, I think it, it had a long run, it's traveled, but he makes a great Poe, he's awkward, he's a little creepy, uh, he's not trying to be charming, uh, and just Cusack was just so wrong for, for the part here. He would yell like, uh, I'll, I'll take you to hell, or I'll kill him, and you'd never believed a well, I didn't believe anything anybody was saying, but when he would yell in this, it was just so embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kelly, what things did you like in the movie? <laughs> I'm with you 100%. Okay. <laughs> uh, I briefly hoped that they might go to the West Indies. But then I realized, uh, you know, I don't think they have the budget for that. And plus, I've seen the trailer, and I don't remember any West Indies footage in the trailer. Uh, they it would have been cool, though. Anyway, yeah, a little... a little. Uh, and then they get there, track. they go, wait, he met the church. Fuck. <laughs> I'm trying to think, what oh, did they find they, at the church? There was a reason. Nothing. They just knocked on doors, and then they found a grave that they didn't examine. They lose Jake Gyllenhaal. Right. They don't examine anything. And then there's a magical I'm sorry scene with Brendan Gleeson, and that was it. I mean, it was just nothing. So touching. Well, the so, script, so, so Dingus, do we know who uh, Hannah Shakespeare and her cohort are? What other things have been written by the, the writers of... Ben Livingston, I presume, is terrible. Very good, very good. <laughs> uh, do it's, we know what else they've done? Um, ben Livingston is an actor, and... Uh, ah, well. Ah, 
This is the only thing he's written. He's done, done a lot of TV, and that's not a knock. That's just what it is. And Hannah Shakespeare is a uh, TV writer. It said it. Oh. Oh, there you go. And we know James, James McTeague. Uh, did any of us like V for Vendetta? I certainly didn't. Does no. either of you vouch for V? It's biggest... supposed to be about violent uh, rebellions and stuff, and then it ends with peaceful. Fuck that movie. Fucking... I don't understand why people like it. I was well, really stupid. Yeah, James McTeague's uh, his last movie was V for Vendetta. Before that, I believe he worked with the uh, Wachowski brothers on the Matrix movies. It's like a visual supervisor or something. Uh so that's his background, and now he brings us The Raven. Um, he also uh, directed a movie that I remember seeing. I remember watching the trailer. It's a rare trailer I watched with you, Tom, and both of us laughing when the title came up, and the title was Ninja Assassin. Oh, that was James McTeague. And I watched that, and there's there's actually about an hour of good movie there. Um there's there's an hour of good movie there. It's 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 not bad. Uh, it's it's unfortunately the movie is an hour and a half long. Uh, and then I tried to watch V for Vendetta again, and it's just oh my god. Yeah, don't don't do that, Dingus. I don't advise that. Uh, well, no, I don't. I don't advise that. Outfit's kind of good. But when's a ninja not an assassin? Is my fucking question. Well, no, this movie is about assassins who kill ninjas. Oh, what are they called? Ninjas. Ninja assassins. Yes. Actually, I don't know if they kill them. Ninja assassin ninja. Ninja assassin killers. Uh, the, also, the shame of this is that um, so so Dingus, that little bit that you mentioned about the uh, the window being nailed shut and the uh-huh. the lever in the window. I don't want to spoil anybody's three by three pick, by the way. But uh, the little magical button in the window. That stuff is straight out of uh, is it murder or murders at Rue Morgue? The the Pogue short story that that actually is credited with inventing. Detective. detective fiction, yeah, that whole genre. Like, and it's kind of a shame that we can't <laughs> do justice. And the murder was a monkey too, which isn't used at all. Ah, I didn't know that. Ah, that's the whole. That's the twist. Spoiler that's he gets out because he goes up the chimney. Oh, come on, dude! It was written in the 1840s. Isn't the statute of limitations out on that? <laughs> <laughs> but how uh, do you but, not yeah. take advantage of that great moment? The detective finds it. He says, "I know this crime," and then it turns out he doesn't know any of the stories at all. Yeah. I mean, how do you? Would have been cool if this if the serial killer had turned out to be a monkey, though, like a monkey who made the pendulum and all the other things. And now that pendulum too. That was the worst. Oh movie. God! What kind of pendulum? Like the whole point of Pit and the pendulum is the guy sitting there watching his death slowly advance on him. This thing right. spins four times. It chops him in half. It's over. There was no sense of tension or suspense or dread or fear. What a, what a clunky misreading of the point of. The pit and the pendulum. That was hilarious. That's exactly what I thought. I was giggling at it. And, you know, my wife was hiding her face because of the gore. But there was nothing scary there. You might as well just chop the guy in half and then stage it and not worry about the counterweights. Right. Yeah, exactly. There was no point building that whole thing if you're just going to make it swing four times. Yeah. Yeah. and again, that's, the, one, that's one of the things that I love about the movie Seven, is that you go into these tableau, and you have to imagine what happened in the crime. And if you're going to, and it's like these screenwriters said, hey, what if we got to watch those crimes happen? And then they didn't bother to build any tension into them whatsoever. Well, that's what happens when you hire TV writers. I, I noticed a pattern. It's like in that, uh, remember League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? They had the... Uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody here saw that, Kelly Wand. Uh, all right. No, but, but you saw it, it, so tell us, yeah. So in League of Extraordinary, uh, what happens? Well, in- okay. 
there's like a, a Dorian Gray character, and then they outsmart him by showing him his portrait, which is like really stupid if you know the story. It's like, oh, obviously he's going to know about it. But if you don't know it, that reference will be lost on you. So it's like stupid either way. And that's how this movie is, too. It's like it doesn't know the stories at all, but it refers to them. So if you don't know the stories, you're like, ah, oh, so fucking tedious. But if you know them, you're like, look how much they fucked up the stories. Like, there's no, there's nothing optimal. Kelly Wand, I think the tagline for uh, The Raven should have been stupid either way. <laughs> Nicely done. It's like the pendulum swings one way stupid and the other way stupid. Uh, also, stupid either way. What was the deal with her taking the little whalebone thing out of her... I don't know, uh, her corset or whatever, and then poking at the eyes guy and missing? Like, what, weren't we supposed to be rewarded with some sort of, like, poked eyeball in that scene? Well, because it sounded like she hit him, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then he, he peeks right back in, by the way. He didn't seem that dissuaded. Um, All right, I thought we were going to see, like, a severed head that he was holding or something. Ah, very clever, Dingus. That's, Dingus, that's insidious and clever. You should have uh, put that in the script if you'd written it. Now, Tom, was there anything, were there any moments where you felt like there was a glimmer of, oh, this could go somewhere? Oh, good Lord, no, no. It was just awful throughout. Even before I saw it, I was pretty, I was pretty uh, sure it was going to be awful throughout. Um, I mean, this is one of those movies you can tell by the trailer, you're going to get, you can tell exactly what you're in for. Uh, And certainly by knowing the people involved, uh, it's clear how out of his element, John Cusack looks. Uh, it looks even the uh, the makeup, like like everything looks mm-hmm. cheap uh, and just poorly done. And I think you know you you go to you you get some sort of tax break or, or cash incentive to shoot in Hungary, and you get what you pay for. I can't imagine this movie costs that much. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. just I I never had any hope for this. Nice work, Kelly Wand. I hope you're happy. He's an alcoholic, but he doesn't drink anymore at the end, right? Is this like even... He's like Iron Man. Oh, did he... Was he off... Was he on the wagon by the time it was over? No, he because he... story. Yeah, but no, there's a scene, too, where he's looking with Brendan Gleeson over all the coordinates, and he's wolfing down the alcohol. So oh. I, I think he does fall off the wagon before it's over. That's when I thought the guy's servant was the killer. Right. Because he goes, yeah, it's something, duh, basement. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So what you're saying, Kelly Wan, is this movie kept you guessing? No, it kept me from... I was too tired to leave, kind of. <laughs> that also, that could be a... That's a ringing endorsement as well. Yeah, I'll just come up with new phrases all night for how the movie... Like, just little quotes. Uh, Kelly Wan, what did you think of uh, of Al- Alice Eve? Eve Alice, what was her name? Alice Eve. Eve. Yeah, Kelly Wan, how did, how did she do as a... Did she serve well as your ingenue for the evening? In, in the absence of who else? Who else? There was she was the only girl in the movie, right? No, come on. What about, here's another thing. Stacey he had well, the, no, he had a sweet gig going. You know what? I did another thing. I liked the scene where he's listening. He's in front of the women's poetry yeah. class. Like I don't, I'm not sure what that was, but I was like, hey, that's an awesome gig. Let's just show scenes of him listening to these women's poetry. I kind of wanted the movie to just stay there. I was like, this could be funny. There's opportunity for shenanigans here. Uh, let's hear from some of the other women's poetry. I just love that image of him up in front of them, and they're fanning themselves, and they're all in their, their big dresses and bonnets and whatnot, reading their poetry. Like, I, Did Edgar Allan Poe really teach a bunch of I don't of know, poetry? but I like that scene, actually. I did actually, it was, was a good scene, and it, it goes off in a weird direction. Yeah, it really does. Uh, 
Yeah, and then the cops show up, and you have to go to the rest of the movie, unfortunately. Yeah, we never see that character again, that old lady who wrote the bee poem. You know what? Didn't they reuse her, though? There was another part where she... I think they used her in the ball sequence, or... No, she does show up again. She definitely does. Yeah. Um, That's her arc. She wrote a bee poem and shows up again. So see, Kelly one quote for the poster. <laughs> this movie you is... like that old woman in the V poem scene. Why do you see her when she shows up again? Yeah, the movie is full of interesting female characters. For all we knew, uh, Carl was a chick, the raccoon. See? <laughs> and did you like Alice Eve, Tom? Actually, yes, I did think she was good. Uh, I mean, awful material, of course. But uh, yeah, I, I thought she was. She was British. Oh, I'm pretty sure she's from Australia. Oh, aren't they all? <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I liked her. I liked uh, Luke Evans. What do I know Luke Evans from? Dingus, do we know him? Or Kelly Wan, do you guys know Luke Evans from anything? He looks like that guy. You guys are saying he looks like the guy in The Wire, but it's not him. I'm pretty sure I've seen him in other stuff. But I like like him. And the thing is, I like John Cusack. He was just... This movie was so terrible, and he was so poorly casted. But Alice Eve and Luke Evans were... You know, they had terrible material, but they were appropriately casted, to their credit. Luke Evans was Zeus in your favorite movie. Oh, movie. God, Dingus. Dingus. Why did you really? have to bring that up? Yeah, he's right. Ah, uh-huh, he looked it up. Oh, I'm totally seeing it now, too. You know what I don't like, Luke? I take that back. <laughs> what's uh, what's uh, Dingus. the poor guy? I mean, he for me, he calls to mind Heath Ledger, but he just has none of the range and none of the wit. He just has some of his grimness. And uh, unfortunately, he doesn't get to do anything else but be grim in this movie. And, and uh, I liked him as Zeus in Immortals. I think I did, too, but I hated that movie. I can't believe you reminded me of that. Dingus, next time, don't tell me things like that. Sorry, he was Apollo in your favorite Clash <laughs> of the Titans movie. <laughs> that that I could have stomached a little bit more, but, uh, oh, God, he was in the Immortals. Yeah, I'm told, that's why I know him. I can't believe that. Ugh. Sorry. Hey, you know who the Zeus in the next one is? Who? It's uh, Jeremy Renner. One, two, three, not only you and me, got one eighty three, and I'm going between them. One, two, three, 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 uh-huh. Uh, all right, so this that week's 3x3. Three three. How do you guys feel about this week's 3x3? Three three? Uh, all right, well, let's talk. Lo- so an eh, uh, and I loved I guess you were going to say you loved it. I- I'll take that. Uh, you could say loathed. He might have been going there. You're right. Dingus doesn't really say loathed much, as often as he should. <laughs> Dingus, you should loathe more things. Uh, yeah. No, I, 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 uh, I enjoyed this one as well. Let me explain it. Uh my my number what would have been my number one pick I took off the table so I could use it to introduce the the topic. Uh, these are your favorite buttons, levers, or switches, and my number one would have been for my favorite movie from last year, Hannah, which is a movie that opens with two characters in this idyllic existence, uh, this almost fairy tale existence, and as the movie plays for a little bit, a switch is introduced, a little electronic device with a with a switch on it, uh, and uh, one of the characters has to decide whether or not to throw that switch. And when she does, 
the events of the movie kick into place. They bring up things from 15 years ago. Uh, the switch is a narrative device. It's a, it's a metaphor for childhood. It's a cool visual trick in a movie that didn't have any of that kind of electronic technology up until this point. Uh, I just love what that switch does early on in Hannah, uh, which was my favorite movie from last year. So what I want from you guys are your three favorite switches, levers, or buttons. Uh, I want a specific switch, lever, or button. I don't want you to just tell me about a general type of switch or lever or button or general types of controls. Uh, so that's what we're looking for in this uh, 3x3. So, uh, Dinga, or no, Kelly Wan, you are introducing next week's 3x3, so you will kick us off. Uh, you were meh about this, so uh, <laughs> being, being not that crazy about the 3x3, what did you come up with for your number three pick? Uh, this one's weak. Okay. I guess I'm just mad about my, my choices. It's not your topic, but it's bad. It's me, it's not you. Um, <laughs> Thank number you. three will be, I think Dingus will back me up. I'm referring, of course, to the classic reactor terminal of the Death Star in Star Wars, Tom's favorite of the uh, original trilogy. After there, Jedi. Is but, the reactor terminal the thing that Obi-Wan has to like pull the lever on, that thing? That's not a reactor yeah. That's a force field activator. No, it's a tractor beam. Somewhere. Tractor beam. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, you're right. So the, the, tra- I... the tractor beam lever. Haha, uh-huh. you cared. <laughs> I'm, uh, where you have to, where you have to like walk out on that really unsafe yeah. platform. Yes, and then you have to use ventriloquism to trick guards, which is interesting because <laughs> he could. It's like based on other things we've seen Obi Wan do in the other movies that George Lucas doesn't give a shit. Is, part of the can. It's like, couldn't he just remotely flip the lever instead of just going out there? And also, no one's checking it. Like, even if you threw off those two guards, like, the whole space station doesn't know it's offline. Right, this is, so this is your number three favorite why. Because <laughs> it's the biggest one I've ever seen in a movie. Okay. Uh, all right, so the uh, tractor beam lever activator steely <laughs> whopper. All right. That's how you'll write it up. If I have my druthers. Uh, all right, good. Dingus, what is your number three pick for a favorite button, switch, or lever? All right, my number three is... Uh, I've got a quote that goes with it. Ah, good. Uh, all right, click. here you go. Uh, click. Yeah, there you go. No, it's it's uh, code prefix locked. Is that code the lie? prefix locked. It's got to be either computer says it out loud or it appears on a screen or something. If I start guessing, Dingus, I'm just going to start guessing yeah, other let, buttons, don't, levers, don't guess. and switches. Okay. It's it's not. Um, uh, it's said by uh, Major King Kong. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the is moment it those is, dials? Oh, go ahead. No, it's not the dials. Um, it's right after that. And I, I the reason I love this is because I love. And part of this, I realized as I was watching a lot of these, and even the one that Kelly Wan just said, um, so much of it has to do with the sound design. Uh, and what I, I guess I just didn't realize that. It, it, the sound design gives such weight to some of these, and I yeah. love the weight of a heavy switch. I don't know why that is, but that's why I loved this. I, I mean, I really liked doing this mental game this week and thinking about all these switches and levers and whatnot. And they turn out all to be uh, basically switches, I think. Uh, but but the, the moment is is after um, Lieutenant Goldberg uh, gives him the code, the OPE code, he has to do this code prefix lock thing. And, and he has to reach down, click out this protective cover, and flip up this 
wide um, switch, this this wide prefix locking switch. Now you're that, saying he, but you you mean Slim Pickens on the B52, yeah, right? Exactly. Thank you. Slim Pickens has to has to click this up and then uh. and then um, flap the cover back over it again. And and I just I I just love those. Those switches. I, I don't know what, what it is about it. I don't know why that why I groove on that so much. But that that moment in the B fifty two when he just clicks that over and flips that up. I mean I, I like those little dials that they do too. But those dials are like stereo dials to me or something. I don't know. But I like that. I like that like cover flapping the cover over, pushing up that thing and then flapping the cover back. Uh, I think too when I when I look at like those old timey controls like that all that B-52 stuff in, in uh, Dr. Strangelove. Like, I think of being a kid and just wanting to sit in the cockpit of an airplane and just flip yeah. switches and stuff. I mean, that, that tactile idea of, you know, I'm controlling something big and all these little things that I'm that I'm pushing or levers I'm switching have some effect. Like, as a kid, you just want to sit there and play with that stuff. Uh, and, yeah, when it has a gratifying sound, uh, that's, that's a huge part of it. So, Maybe it's right. also... It has to do with what the switch does too, because like if he was just doing the landing gear, maybe Dingus would. <laughs> well, that's not necessarily true because you know all that stuff in the B fifty two, those those levers that are there. I mean, that's just like normal calling. airplane stuff. But I love all those levers. I mean, I'm just crazy about that stuff. Well, and the, Kelly's right though. I mean, these this is a, a switch with huge narrative impact on what's going to happen in right. the story, though. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. All right, so uh, good. My number three is uh, a big old red button that is on a gear shift in the Road Warrior. Uh, you see it a couple of times in the movie, and I think I don't know a lot about cars, but I think underneath the gear shift for for Max's V8 interceptor, it's a turbocharger toggle thing, and it's something that he can reach down with his index and middle finger while he's got his hand on the gear shift and either pull it up or pop it down like with a thumb or his palm so early on in the movie when you see him driving the v8 interceptor and he sees that he's low on gas he toggles that thing off to let the cars catch up with him and then he's going to toggle it back on it's i guess his turbocharger to shoot ahead of them so you see him do it twice there uh and it's kind of like i don't really know the mechanics but when you see him activate it uh George Miller cuts to a shot of some kind of a, uh, it's a, something in the engine that has a belt on a round thing. And I don't know what it is, but when he hits the red button, <laughs> the round thing starts turning and spinning the belt. And all that says to me is it's making his engine even more badass. Like whenever Mel Gibson, Max, hits that red button, the V8 interceptor is effectively immortal. You know, it can get away from anything. So when he's low on gas, he has to turn it off briefly to let him catch up, and then he turns it back on to basically trump them and, and win that first encounter. Um, so that's your intera- your introduction to this awesome car that he's got. And n- later in the movie, like right before the third act, when he's going to leave and go back out into the wasteland on his own and leave behind the people that he's kind of been forced to help – uh, he gets in his car, he's driving away, and the people start chasing him. He switches that thing on, and he's easily, you know, he, you, you get a great shot of him hitting that button and that round thing engaging the belt, and he pulls away, and he's going to he's gonna be scot-free, and the movie's going to be over, and it will be awesome, except for the bad guys now. It shows one of them turning a little uh, stopcock on a, on a, a canister labeled uh, nitrous oxide. So they catch up with him and they they kill his car. That simple. <laughs> like it's like they have their own little little valve that they twist to beat his little special valve. That I later, you know, I didn't know what nitrous oxide was, but then I saw Fast and Furious and was educated about all that stuff. 
Uh, so my number three favorite button is, I think, the turbocharger engage button in the V8 Interceptor. Wait, when you saw Fast and the Furious, did you learn from that what the round thing was called? We're going to need NOS. Crankshaft. <laughs> Fast and Furious is all about NOS. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> uh, I love that choice because um, when I was in, I don't know, when grade school or something, uh, it might have been middle school. Um, I used to, I went to this small little school and I had to drive a long way to get there or I had to be driven a long way to get there and I, and I had a couple of friends that I went with and because we got to school so early we would have to set up the lunchroom. And this, this one guy that I would set up the lunchroom, we would set up tables and to amuse ourselves we would, uh, narrate the movies we had seen over the weekend to each other. <laughs> and this guy, uh, would go to his dad's house uh, because his parents were divorced, and his dad always showed him much better movies than I was ever going to see. And I remember him telling me the story of Road Warrior. Uh, there's there's no way, because I was in a very strict, conservative household, that I was ever going to see Road Warrior. I remember him relating the story of Road Warrior and describing the button that Tom just talked about. And I, I've still never seen Road Warrior, but I can see that button in my head and the flywheel Tom's talking about. Flywheel. That's the word, yes. Because uh, because this guy Brad, wh- who's a very good friend of mine, would told narrated the story of Roboard to me, and he he described that button that Tom just talked about, and I, that's why I just love that pick. Uh, I used to have a, a Jeep which had those big old lights like up on the the front of it, um, like on the top. They would be like ear, like Mickey Mouse ears. There were lights up there like that. Uh, I didn't put them there. They were there when I got the Jeep. Uh, and there was a switch, just this great little switch, you know, like a regular toggle switch that would turn them on. And I remember once I was having trouble, the, the Jeep, uh, like, had broken down. I had problems with it. And this fellow, who obviously knew a lot about cars, had pulled over and was helping me with it. And he leaned in to look at, uh, you know, some wires under the dashboard or whatever, and he saw that switch. And he goes, is that nitrous? <laughs> I was I was I was so proud at that moment that he took that that guy took me for a fellow who would rig an old jeep with nitrous oxide. <laughs> so you told him it was obviously. Unfortunately, no. I confessed that it was just the light, but uh, I I did uh, get a lot of mileage out of that moment. That get it. <laughs> Kelly, Wan, what is your number two favorite button switch? Wait, wait, one yes. last. Yes. I'm not through with this. Uh, <laughs> Dingus hasn't seen Road Warrior still? He has not. Yeah, I know. What the fuck? He has a dick. I no. think, uh, yeah, I, th- I think uh, it's a huge gap in your cultural knowledge, Dingus. I've never met a dude who hasn't seen it. I, I just, I'm saying, this week, come on, what's wrong <laughs> with you? You're... And go talk to that friend of yours. Never mind. <laughs> not his fault. Uh, kid, here's the thing, Dingus, or uh, Kelly Wand. Uh, Dingus has seen Fast and Furious, but has not seen Road Warrior. I mean, where is the justice in that? What sort of cosmic balance is there when a guy has seen Fast and Furious and not Road Warrior? Well, you didn't see... Well, yeah, right. But you didn't see Godfather for a long time, so maybe you... Maybe That's you. not true. No, please, I've seen Godfather. It's, uh, let's see, uh, uh, Wizard of Oz, I think, is the one I haven't seen. Uh, that's a good one. It's kind of stony. Just check it out. Right. But Dingus, when the, when the lunchroom set compadre was describing road warrior at did he go at the end yeah and then a bunch of sand falls out and you find out they were totally lying the whole time and you went oh fuck that i'm not seeing that movie <laughs> was that part of it like that that sounds like an anticlimax not interested yeah. that's not really how the oral tradition works 
<laughs> I'm guessing it was a whole bunch of stuff about the cars and how they banged it. Was, a of that. was there a lot of that in his narrative? Oh, uh, that was hot. <laughs> By the way, so uh, putting in, like, to, to watch that scene again with the red button on the, the turbo flywheel or whatever, man, just the sound of the cars in Road Warrior is so awesome. Yeah. God, I love that. Uh, all right, Kelly Wand, now yeah. it's time for your number two favorite button switch or lever in a movie. Nah, mine are dumb now. Dinguses is better. Are they all from Star Wars? Is it is it the button? Is it the little toggle yeah, that Harrison Ford's the toggle that Harrison Ford switches to say we're fine here? How are you? Is it that? It is now. That's not yeah. bad. Or he's just boring conversation anyway. That's yes. kind of good. No, nah, that's stupid. There. There's like a little toggle there. It's kind of like uh, the same thing that I used to do the lights in my old Jeep. Yeah. Uh, wait, you don't still have the Jeep? No, God, no. This is a Land Cruiser I had in, uh, I think, college. Yeah. When you were a Land our... Cruiser. You had a Land Cruiser? Yeah, I had one of those boxy old Land Cruisers. Because oh, of Road We had Warrior. one of those when I lived in Colorado. That was my favorite car. It was pretty oh, awesome. Man. Yep. Yep. Hey, remember that bakery truck that they used to have in the 40s? It was awesome. <laughs> you could just beat the shit out of those things. I love that Land Cruiser. It was a horrible family car. The heater didn't work, but man, I have such romantic ideas about that Land Cruiser. Damn, you had a Land Cruiser? You could hook those things up with nitrous oxide, I believe. Uh, I need not. <laughs> I need it tonight. <laughs> All uh, right, Kelly Wand, take it away. What is your number two favorite? Apparently, the word on the street, Kelly Wand, is that this is not a very good pick. My number two is in Mystery Men when uh, Greg Kinnear is trying to tell them to turn off the switch and let him go, but they keep mixing up what he says and he rushes them and then he dies. I thought that was kind of funny. I like, like, switch comedy. switch comedy. It's the old switch and bait. So, a Greg Kinnear-related... Yeah, I don't remember that scene, but uh, it must have been great to be better than the tractor beam uh, lever in Star Wars. Well, because it's comedy timing-based, and that's stuff I appreciate, just like I did with when Obi-Wan Kenobi did that non-faked comedy on the reactor terminal, number three. So what made it great was that it was... It was a key part of a joke, apparently. Well, it was also similar to uh, the switches that uh, my lunchroom companion and I would talk about at lunch. <laughs> All right, so mystery. All right, I don't fit in with the group. It's fine. My choices are terrible. Uh, I actually don't know this. I don't remember this. I've seen Mystery Men, but I don't remember the switch scene. So, um, I Not that good movie. Right. I liked that part and uh, another part I can't remember. All right, so Mystery Men, the Greg Kinnear-related switch comedic scene in Mystery Men. All right. Dingus, what do you have that's better than that? And can you give us a quote? I certainly can. Mm -hmm. uh, here's the quote. We're not programmed. We're human, understand? Uh, Andromeda strain. Heart beeps. <laughs> not heart beeps. Uh, uh, let me say the whole quote. Gertie, we're not programmed, we're human. Ah, but I don't remember much switchology in that, though. Explain the... Uh, I'm trying to remember him manipulating buttons and whatnot, and I don't remember a lot of that. Well, uh, the switch, this is the the movie Moon. 
uh, from 2009, uh, directed by Duncan Jones. And the, the, the specific switches, it's, it's three switches and they're all the same basic switch. And it's when he's, he's discussing having to reboot Gertie in order to, uh, wipe Gertie's memory so that he can be saved. And Gertie says, you know, when, when Sam, when I get Sam up to speed and we get our programming back, we'll be fine. And Sam, the Sam that's talking to him then says, we're not, we're not programmed, we're human. And Gertie turns around and he has that face on and Sam reaches up and there are the, there are these three metal switches that he flips down and they just go ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunk in order to reboot Gertie. And it's just, for me, it's just such a heartbreaking moment. It, it, there's so many things. I just, ah, God, I love Moon so much. Um, there are so many things I feel in that moment about, I feel kind of mad at him because I feel like he's made, he's disrespected Gertie here or he's insulted him. And then before he goes away, he takes the kick me thing off of it, off of him. <laughs> but, but it, it's, it's, it, there are these just great stainless steel, uh, switches that he just, I just, I really like those switches that are on the back of Gertie. So much about Moon. Uh, obviously Moon has a lot in common or, or Moon benefits from having, from being watched by people who know 2001 Space Odyssey. Yeah. Uh, and that the counterpart, like what happens with Gertie there, like I think of the dismantling of Hal at the yeah. end of 2001, which is much more almost like a disemboweling. Like there are no switches. It's not neat and clean. It's almost like pulling the guts out of something. So if I'm not mistaken, isn't he just like sliding out these, these bright red circuit board kind of things? Uh-huh. Yeah, and there there was a there was one that I considered from uh, 2010, and 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 why Kelly's argument about 2001 is is so valid is that the button moment in 2010 is when he's just they're just going to sever a cable to destroy him, and just press a button to do that. And, and the moment you're talking about, Tom, is far more elegant, and it's yeah. removing these like mini monoliths are almost ah yes very good ah nice one see <laughs> like Dick, that movie look Dick how much Dickus loves and appreciates see? 2001 he see he tells me things about it i never noticed that were awesome about it thank you dingus dingus is a big 2001 apologist it seems like yeah or he's the greatest troll in human history <laughs> the, indeed the one you never suspect kind of thing all right. Well, uh, number- wait, wait. I was going to oh, yes, say. Yes, yes. I just want to acclaim Dingus's choice because mm-hmm. Moon really is a triumph of production design. Like it really is one of the greatest movie looks I think I've ever seen. Like it really, it really does feel like. And Gertie, I don't know. It's a great, uh, it's a great character. Thank you, Dingus. I'm sorry. You're welcome. And also, Moon uh, gets huge props for for including in its cast uh, Matt Barry from <laughs> Garth Marenghi's Dark Place and Snuffbox. When? Oh, come on, Kelly Wan, did you not know that? No. So uh, uh, Matt Barry is one of the folks from the corporation that appears in a little tiny screen when uh, when Sam Rockwell is, like, talking to the company. Oh. Like, he's only in a – and I think there's a couple other, a couple other actors with him. Uh, but he's, like, the, the contact from the company back on Earth. It's uh, uh, That's great. Yeah, see, Why I, don't can, I, I suck. Yeah. I can teach you things about Moon. Dingus can teach yeah, you things about true. 2001. Yeah, I have nothing to teach anyone. <laughs> You're teaching us about mystery, mystery men. Yeah, Rick Kinnear comedies. Uh, all right, well, my number two. Um, so my number two and number one are not just 
buttons or I like the actual buttonology, the actual switchology of it. There, there are instances like Hannah where the significance of the switch is hugely important to the story, to the characters, to the direction the movie's going to take, uh, uh, or even metaphors in a way. So the, the number two pick for me uh, are the switches that the Joker gives the passengers on the ferries <laughs> in Dark Knight. Um, first of all, for their, their aesthetic. We'd seen the Joker before uh, in that great hospital scene where he's flipping around a, a switch that doesn't really seem to work very yeah. well. And Christopher Nolan does this great gag with the hospital being a chintzy explosion. And uh, you think, oh, that's all they've got a budget for. And then it becomes a huge explosion. Like, that's a great visual gag. So later on, similar switches make an appearance at the, the climactic decision at the end of Dark Knight. Uh, and they have this great Joker aesthetic where there are bits of circuit board and duct tape. And the actual switch is actually a, like a bike lock key that you're supposed to turn. And they've got a little antenna on them. Uh, and one is sent to each ferry boat. And arguably the climax of Dark Knight isn't necessarily Batman and the Joker fighting, but it's what the people decide in this sort of moral conundrum. Um, uh, and I love that, uh, you know, deciding whether or not to turn the switch. Uh, so I love the narrative role, and I love the look of these switches, and I, I love how the, the outcome of the movie goes for the switches. Where the whole movie's about switches. They're like that. There are a lot of, yeah, well, there's at least those switches. A coin's a switch, if you think about it. It's just a two-sided round switch you flip in the air. And I think there are some pretty cool buttons in the Batmobile, if I recall correctly. Yeah. And uh, Christopher Nolan and his brother are off and on switches, sibling-wise. There you go. Uh, the the switches also I like their how how they are situated in a in a place where everybody like on the the prison ferry where all the guards have guns and there's all these big muscular men you know all of that traditional action movie stuff is it just is completely irrelevant to the power of this one little switch. Like, I like how, you know, in a Michael Bay movie, it would be all the prisoners' brawn versus all the guards' firepower, go. You know, that's what Michael Bay would do. But in, in a, this Batman movie, it's all about all that stuff uh, takes a secondhand role behind the actual switch. I love that. Um, so I love my- the way those things look. The, there's a key dangling from it, and yep. you can't, and it's wrapped in a box, and you, I, I couldn't, I watched that again, and what I didn't remember from it, because my brain had compressed that whole prisoner thing, is is how well edited and how how long you have to watch to get for, from moment to moment on those ferries. I mean, there's a lot more going on in all of those scenes. You still have to go out to uh, the commissioner. You have to do so many yeah. other things, and the tension is so well built. Um, th- that's, a, that's a great choice. But I, I didn't remember the design of those things and how it is like holding a, a mini bike lock and what am I going to do with this key and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I like movies, too, that come down to... Like, my big problem with so many fantasy and superhero movies is that they're doodad-based. Whoever gets the magic doodad just just wins, period. And it's about somebody yeah. getting a doodad or a magic generator or, or whatever, you know, Thor's hammer, all that stuff, whatever. It's much more interesting to me, a movie about someone making a decision. A decision trumps a doodad in any story, I, I feel. Uh, and it's why Constantine is so good, for instance. Uh, you know, movies about people making decisions. That's that's something anybody can relate to. I, I love that kind of stuff. Uh, all right, well, so... Yep. Some decisions can be doodad-related. 
There's no decision related to it. So they can be like, do I throw the ring into the crack of doom? What's that thing called? Mount (laughs) Mount Doom, whatever. Do I throw the ring into the lava? Like, that's a decision. Uh, That's your right, Kelly. That's kind of. (laughs) See? The doom crack. Yeah, the doom crack. Can you imagine Rivadell if they had said, we're going to Mount Doom, or or we said, we're going to the crack of doom? Crack of doom. Got to hang out crack of doom tonight, eh? So they say it up here. Why didn't you just? Why didn't Sauron uh, seal up that fucking volcano? Like, because of the tractor beam on the Death Star. Ah, uh, <laughs> non-faked comedy. All right, Kelly Wan, what is your number one pick for a favorite button switch or lever? Uh, I'm gonna say the uh, psychic electroshock at the beginning of Ghostbusters when Bill Murray's trying to nail Jennifer Runyon. But only because I think I misremember when he gives the dude shock treatment, some gum flies out of his mouth. Like, he shocks the gum out of his mouth. But I think maybe I'm adding that and it didn't really happen. So, so there's th- this is a button that somebody throws in the beginning of Ghostbusters? Or a, a yeah, switch? Bill so yeah, Bill Murray throws a switch to give someone shock treatment. Yeah, he's testing their psychic ability. A couple of wavy and, lines. Yeah, a couple of wavy lines. Okay. Does, Dingus, you sound like you remember the scene. Does that guy lose yeah. his thumb? I think you're right about that, yeah. That's but, there, but there's this great moment where, um, because Bill Murray's just trying to pick up the chick, like you said. Right. Chick and um, got and the guy guesses correctly, and Bill Murray reaches for the switch, up. and the guy goes, no. <laughs> Wait, what? I don't remember his reaction. The guy gives him a little look like, uh, don't do it, and Bill Murray just He's such a sadist, he just reaches and does it. And the guy's like, I quit! Uh, so, Kelly Wan, well, I, the thing I noticed about your list... Maybe all, she's the control group. Ah. Okay, sorry, Tom. Yes? Uh, all three of yours are comedies. Yeah. Except for Ghostbusters. <laughs> all right, Dingus, what is your number one choice for a favorite button, switch, or lever? All right, here's a quote from it. Mm-hmm. Oh, money pod me om. Foltergeist? The fountain? No, here's a here's a better quote from that scene. Uh, number one, enabled. Two, enabled. Three, enabled. Four, five, six. Mm, he's doing some Crimson Tide thing, I bet. What? He wouldn't troll us that horribly. No, it's not. He's he's or hunt for red octa. It's some or or clear and present danger. It's some Tom Clancy thing, I bet. Maybe it's Midnight Run, and there's more of the train scenes than I remember. I don't think they had buttons in that movie or switches or levers. Dingus, am I right that is is Tom Clancy's name associated with the movie that you're talking about? His name is not associated with it. Oh, is Michael Crichton's name associated with it? No, Clive Cussler. <laughs> Nope. Sahara. Dang, I was hoping someone would pick Sahara. James Patterson. <laughs> I got all night. Sue Grafton. <laughs> Sue Grafton. Uh, whatever <laughs> the uh, jacket tattoo author guy. Uh, Dingus, I don't think I've seen this movie, because I would remember someone uh, reciting a Buddhist mantra after enabling a bunch of stuff. I think I would remember that. Little Buddha. He does it, he does it before that, and you've actually posted a picture of this very moment, and the moment that is in question, it, although not the switch, it is the switch that I first thought, but not the switch I'm talking about, is the turn your key, sir, moment. Hmm. Turn your key, sir. No, I, I know. I, yeah, that's you're, you're going in the uh, way back machine. No, no, it's a, it's a really, 
It's a really old movie. Yeah, interesting choice, Dingus. All right, so how, does this hold up? Did you rewatch this? I love this movie. I've watched it plenty of times. All right, this is War Games uh, from 1983. Um, but it's not the key. It's not the turn your key moment. It's uh, it's Michael Madsen flipping all of those switches that enable the actual missile. And this is very much related to the Doctor Strangelove moment, and, and these are all kind of together. I just I like the physical... Uh, the physical construction of those switches, because all of all of the ten switches he has to throw have little covers over them, and there's this this physical thing that he does where he he flips up the cover and then he flips the switch and he flips up the cover and then he flips the switch, and I just love all of that. I, I mean, I you know Tom said don't don't just do a design of of, of a thing of a movie like uh, Minority Report. Don't just go for the design of the switches and that or the control, whatever. Uh, and I, I accept that, but I, I really like that the key they eventually turn. But my favorite switch is, in that movie is that those number one through ten switches, and you can just say the number one switch if you want, where they flip up the cover and Michael Madsen has to go through that whole sequence. While um, I think it's John Spencer, is that the guy who plays? Yeah, John Spencer is trying to get somebody else on the line, and that that um that that thing he does. That quote he says, where it's "Oh, money, pod me home." What I didn't remember is that all the way as they go down in the missile silo, John Spencer is talking about his girlfriend who is cultivating pot, <laughs> and so he's just talking about this great pot that she's cultivating and how she she uh, chants to the the plants that she's cultivating while they go down into the silo. And is that really Mike? Yeah, in War Games. Yeah. What'd you say, Tom? And is that really Michael Madsen, or you're just saying that because the actor looked like Michael Madsen? No, no, that, that's Michael Madsen. He plays, uh, I think it's uh, Lieutenant Steve Phelps, First Lieutenant Steve something or other. It might be <laughs> None that. None of this is but real. Yeah, I don't believe a word of here. That's one of Michael Madsen's early moments, and that's one of the things I love is is Michael Madsen. And I love John Spencer, too. So they're both these these guys who I would eventually love in other things, but they're in this great little scene in this silo and uh, and those switches that Michael that Michael Madsen is is flipping are my favorite. Michael Madsen grows weed in war games. <laughs> Michael Madsen's uh, colleague's girlfriend grows weed in war games. Oh, right. they have room for that. Oh, we got to set up that. Well, they, they they don't have catacombs wherever they are, but they do have. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so the uh, wait, the, so dinguses are all nuclear themed. Uh, well, we don't know what kind of reactor powers Gertie, so yes, you could say that they are all nuclear themed. I have a theory on it. Okay, you do. <laughs> all right. Tiki tiki tiki. Uh, well, wait, wait for my number one. Uh, ready for this, Holly uh, Wand? I, I don't think either of you has seen this. Now, I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble because this isn't really. It's a button. I'm going to say it's a button. I don't think you can dispute that. Uh, so this is a movie from I don't know, 2002, 2003, thereabouts. Uh, it was nominated. I think it actually won the Best Foreign Picture Academy Award that year. Uh, and the switch in question is a button that gets pressed early on in the movie. And the act of pressing the button is no big deal. And the, the early movie establishes this. What is a big deal is when you let up on the button. And the reason it's a big deal is because it's not so just a button. It's the trigger on top of a landmine. 
Uh, and the way some landmines land work are when you step on them, uh, it activates it, and then when you step off of it, it goes off. And they explain this early on in the movie. And the way this would work is that the it's, it's a bouncing landmine. So once you step off of it, the landmine flies up in the air, and the shrapnel goes around in a radius, uh, you know, unobstructed by dirt. So it's not just a funnel straight up. It's up in the air, and it shreds people around it. Uh, and the movie is called No Man's Land. Uh, and it was made by a Bosnian director named Taravic. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm probably butchering how to pronounce his name. He's gone on. He's very successful in Bosnia. He, uh, he's done some movies since then that aren't that good. Uh, but his sort of introduction to the world was No Man's Land. So what you see early on in No Man's Land are a Bosnian and a Serbian soldier thrown together in a trench between these two outposts, Serbians in one, Bosnians in the other. Uh, and in this trench, a dead body has been booby-trapped with a landmine. It's been set on the landmine to where the, the button is pressed, and if you move him, then the landmine will go off. However, what turns out is that it's not a dead body. The guy is still alive. So he comes to, and one of the, the Bosnian is his friend. The Serbian is was the partner of the guy who booby-trapped his body, and they're stuck there. Uh, it's kind of similar to movies like... Um, Midnight Clear or uh, Hell in the Pacific, where um, who it's Toshiro Mifune and maybe Lee Marvin, I think. They're a Japanese and American soldier stranded together on an island. Uh, it was later remade into this silly sci-fi thing called Enemy Mine uh-huh. with Dennis Quaid and Luke Gossett Jr. is a lizard guy, and they're at war. So it's one of these movies about soldiers from opposite sides forced together in, in sort of tight confines to come to terms with the fact that, hey, we're, we're both just human. Um, but what I love about No Man's Land is the significance of everything that happens in this movie is driven by the fact that this landmine, the button has been pushed on it, and that if the button ever gets unpushed, if this guy ever gets up, then the, the, the mine is going to go off. That drives everything that happens in this movie. And, and the beauty of it is that the things that happen in this movie are so specific to the, the, the wars in former Yugoslavia, to the, the Balkans conflicts that, that went on throughout the 90s. It is such a specific observation of that part of the world and of unique characteristics of those wars. Uh, I, I love how political it is without being preachy. You know, here is in a microcosm this little event about this landmine being triggered before it's going to go off. In a microcosm, it has so many great canny observations about the Yugoslav wars in, in specific. And it's just a great, it's a well-written, well-acted, it's a black comedy, really. It, it's it's hilarious. There's one of my favorite, I rewatched it today, and I didn't remember this. There is just this awesome moment where two guys in a Bosnian outpost uh, and the movie doesn't preach about any of this stuff. Like you, if you watch it and if you remember, there was there was a lot. Uh, I mean, what the Serbs did in, in Bosnia and in Kosovo, the, the genocide that went on there was horrific. So there's this great moment where some guys sitting in a Bosnian outpost are reading a newspaper, and one of them says something like, "Oh my God, what a mess in Rwanda." <laughs> like, I love that. Wow. That just blew me away. I mean, the fact that this Bosnian director is telling this story and has one of the characters say that line is, oh, it, it's. I mean, is that funny? Is that painful? It's a little bit of everything. Uh, so I love No Man's Land, and I love the fact that early on this button gets pushed. And, by the way, they have another 
uh, not a copy, but they have another mine that they show people when they come to try to help. The UN gets involved. Uh, this German hurt locker kind of guy gets involved. He's a, a, a bomb expert. And they keep whipping out this other mine to show, you know, here is what is underneath this guy's body. Here's what he's lying on top of. And it's a button with these four little wicked prongs sticking up around it. So it's constantly showing you, like, what's down there that, that you can't see. Uh, so that's my number one pick is the little button that you press on the top of the landmine in No Man's Land. So I'm guessing neither – has neither of you seen this? Nope. No, I don't see movies with apostrophes. <laughs> All right. Well, you're going to miss this one. It wasn't remade as – I mean, where's the American remake of that movie? Good point. Good point. Well, you know, you, you could not – um, Lethal Weapon 2 with Danny Glover sitting on the toilet. Oh, dingus. Wait. <laughs> There's a Lethal Weapon 2? I thought he was getting too old for that shit. <laughs> Could there be more movies? The only landmine movie I remember seeing was English Patient. Like it's, I can't remember any other landmine stuff. Uh, They're underused. They're like quicksand. You don't see them enough in movies. Well, the one that you don't see is the one that gets you. Mm. See? <laughs> tiki, tiki, tiki. <laughs> All right, runners up. Is that... Here, here's the thing. Would you get... Is the plunger... On the detonator at the end of Bridge Over the River Kwai, is that a button switcher lever? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So that would have been a runner-up. Uh, what do you guys got? I want that one. That's better than all mine. Well, it's not a comedy, so. Along those lines, I, I would choose the, the... There's a moment in Terminator 2, Judgment Day, uh, where Miles Dyson, played by Joe Morton, um, has been is holding something above a detonator switch. Um, he's been basically he's dead. He's been shot to pieces, and he, and he's and they all come around the corner, and he goes, "I don't know how long I can hold this." And then he, and they all clear out, and he drops it onto the switch. Oh, that's sad, Dingus. Yeah, it was very that's sad. But it reminds me of that River Kwai moment. Uh, neither of you saw the box, did you? That horrible Richard E. Kelly thing uh, that he just did. Did you see? No, that? but it, but this made me think of that. It made it just. <laughs> That idea of a button that you push and you don't know, you can't see the repercussions. I watched I watched that movie with the sound down and tried to figure it out from what was going on. And I was kind of like, all right, I get it until I got where everyone's in the library and there's like all these water cubes. And then I went, all right, I don't know. Yeah, he basically introduces aliens at some point, <laughs> which what? is ridiculous. Oh, yeah, he goes a little crazy with the box. Uh, but I did like the design. I mean, before it got... Well, the whole movie was terrible, but I did like the design of, you know, it's a this kind of nice mahogany wooden box. It's got a glass dome on top of it that you can swing back and just push this big old red button. Uh, yeah. Doesn't James Marsden uh, kill her? Spoiler. I don't want people to watch it. Uh, you know what? I don't remember. I could not tell you. I, uh, I, saw, I actually saw it with the sound on, and I, I don't remember the incidents, uh, the specifics, I'm afraid. Does the switch you turn to turn the sound on count as a switch? <laughs> That's a switch. Does a body switch count as a switch? Ah, so that... you might pick the change-up, for instance. No, <laughs> I'd pick uh, the Kirk Cameron one. No, you should pick the change-up. Uh, uh, no, it... I, I noticed that Dingus did not pick The Life and Times of Benjamin Button. Huh. Because he loves that movie. <laughs> right. 
Uh, I always remember for some reason there's a shot in the thing, the original, the, the original, the second thing, the John Carpenter one, where uh, I think it's when the Swedes arrive, where Kurt Russell uses a, a beer, he uses a can of Budweiser to smash the glass on a fire alarm yeah. switch and then pull the little switch down. Like I always love that shot, uh, you know, and the fact that he's using a can of Budweiser to do it. Um, See. Hey, alcohol's his superpower, if you think about it, because <laughs> he beats the chess computer with it. And great all, that's right. Uh, other runners-up, anything? And the same guy, Bill Glencaster wrote that, and then he also wrote Bad News Bears, and Walter Matthau was also an alcoholic. But did he use his alcohol to pull a button switch or lever? No, but he switch hit uh, Kelly Leakin for the uh, Engelberg. Very good, Kelly Wand. A little fun for you. Uh, all right. Well, Kelly. Um, oh yes, Dingus. Uh, I had to. The, there's a there's this moment in the first Lethal Weapon where uh, they find um, a detonator switch, and Riggs goes, "Oh, this is a this Marks used this, and he and he has the little switch that they found. And he goes, this is heavy shit. And I like that little switch that they find in the debris of one of the exploded bombs. Mm-hmm. And um, then the the other goofy the goofy switch I really really like is uh, at the end of Total Recall. The the one where Arnold puts his hand in that weird alien device, that that thing that makes Mars have oxygen. <laughs> he puts his hand in something. I don't remember that. Yeah, it's 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 got this weird sort of Spock. It's not like a Spock thing, but it's a weird finger configuration, and he has to put his hand on it, and that triggers Mars getting oxygen. Dingus, is there a switch or button involved when Jeremy Renner gets the windshield wipers going on the car where he's disarming the car bomb? Yes, yes. And uh, there's something you guys were talking about that made me think of that moment, because I think you mentioned Hurt Locker, and, and he's talking about finding the switch underneath. And and what he says is, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> now, is that before or after he's thinking of cheeseburgers? Uh, I think that's afterward. <laughs> No, 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 because isn't it Guy Pierce who's thinking of cheese? I'm thinking of cheese. Oh, you might weird? be right. You might be right. Yeah, very good. All right. Uh, All right, so, Kelly, that was this week's 3x3. Three three. What do you have to beat it for next week's 3x3? Three three? All right, next week's 3x3 three three topic will be, and make sure we didn't do this before. Well, that's kind of on you. <laughs> so. I know, I know, I know. But uh, it sounds a little similar to one we did before, which was also similar to the last one I did. But it wasn't quite the same, so hopefully you'll cut me the same slack this time. I'm looking for three unanswered questions about a movie. Is that too similar to some of them? <laughs> well, why don't you explain a little bit? Why don't you elaborate right, a bit? Okay, I'll burn an ace. I'll burn a really good one as an example. No, no, we can do unanswered questions, but why don't you explain a little bit about what you're looking for or what inspired this? What, what, what do you mean by unanswered questions? Oh, because Prometheus is coming out, and the ace I was going to burn is I always wondered after Aliens why the donut-shaped ship never showed up in the movie again that was an alien. I don't understand. Like, did the company put guys there? Colony Note was there? Is it still there? Just curious. Maybe no one gives a shit but me. So... So we would have to say this is different than plot holes. This is just things right. that we're curious about. Yes. Plot holes will be legal, but you'll get uh, a skunk eye of disapproval for raiding the same barrel, as we call it up here. Uh, all right. So unanswered questions such as why we didn't see the space jockey ship again in the Aliens movies? Is that Am I right? 
Unless you can answer that question, in which case it becomes an answered question. Well, because no one ever goes to the site of that ship, I'm assuming. But why wouldn't they care? I mean, wouldn't they see it from space when they go in to colonize the planet? And they go, hey, look, a giant donut-shaped ship. I guess we don't want to colonize this part. This planet's so hospitable without that. You know, I actually never thought of that. Dingus, I think Kelly has a point. Yep. He does. I mean, it does affect... Because if the colonists are there because the company sent them there, like, did the company go, okay, if you see a donut ship, uh, don't worry about that. Oh, well, the company, that's exactly why the colonists are there, isn't it? Because the company knew the ship was there and they wanted to investigate it. With colonists? That's their investigation? <laughs> uh, well, it was a front to send and in... And the colonists know? The bioweapons. It's all bioweapons. Huh. All right, well, that's that's fair enough. Okay, I, I, that had never occurred to me, but uh, now I'm going to think about it all week. So very good, Kelly Wand. So I mean, you want unanswered questions similar to that from other movies? Yeah, but if you think that's a dumb one, then improve on it. Uh, well, when I when I get my next chance at a 3x3, three three, I'll see what I can do. But next week we will do that. <laughs> Uh, for instance, no, no, is, I mean, is it an unanswered question why there are no rails around that walkway that Obi-Wan has to go out on to pull the tractor beam switch? Is that an unanswered question? I don't think you're yeah. supposed to go out there. <laughs> that's right. That's that, that does answer it, because nobody's supposed to go out. Well, then why is there a lever out there? Yeah, who uses that? Did a guy go out there and turn it on when the Millennium <laughs> Falcon was spotted? <laughs> why is and there a monster was... in the trash compactor? What the fuck? That's trash. They were, yeah, why someone, does it, because somebody threw it away. Duh. Yeah, someone threw away the Dianoga. I know its name. And <laughs> wait, why? Uh, is, I blessed you out. Get, ah, nice one. Why doesn't it get crushed when the trash compactor always closes? Like, why wouldn't it? It would only last one time. And well, it leaves. Time. It lets go of Luke, and it goes to its little lair where it goes it, when the yeah, crushing they, happens. There's no lair. How does it get sure. to a lair? From, what, well, it has a trash compactor water level? There's it a has, Yep, it has a button that it pushes that's disguised <laughs> as a nail, uh, and then it goes... You know, I, don't I can't believe Yakety Sax isn't playing right now. To make George Lucas sound like a, a guy who doesn't think shit through, because I don't think uh, you really understand. Well, you know what, Kelly Wan? Speaking of guys who don't think shit through, let's see the Avengers next week. Yay! Oh, I can't wait to see what they avenge. Well, I'll tell your cat to shut up too. It's really destroying the podcast. Uh, all right, I, I will. I'll have a talk with him afterwards, uh, and we will also be doing Kelly Wan's three by three of unanswered questions. Now, Kelly Wan, before we go, do you have a canonated doke for us? I already told you about the store called Everything a Dollar or More, right? Okay, and I told you about the subway. Uh, Grandma will tell you when to get off. There was like another one of those where I was at a restaurant and then some guys came in and were making golf jokes to the hostess and then they ended with, and you can be my ball washer. And then I laughed again and then no one laughed. (laughs) That's a real thing in golf, I think. They have those, they have ball washers stationed around golf courses. Yeah, but if you say that to a hostess in America, she'll slap your face nine times out of ten, but that tenth time will be fucking magic. And it'll be in Canada. Uh, all right, so join us next week for the Avengers, the three by three of unanswered questions. My name is Tom Chick, and I've been joined by Christian Moltansky. Mul- it's Christian Moroski. And Kelly Wand. Canada don't. I guess that was more of a. How about everybody's head about the bed? The bed is a bed. 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 The bed is
Podcast is over. You're still here listening to this. Rather disappointing denouement, I have to say. Ah, I totally pwned Dingus. <laughs> so easy. Dingus in a barrel. I spank you. Oh, I am spanking you. I spank you. Tom ignores my comedy to slap his cat in the ass as hard as he can. That's what my voice does. It awakens in Tom's breast. I am spanking you. Oh, I spank you. Small familiar lives with me. <laughs> <laughs>